comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's up, Aztec fans? Welcome to the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name is Trone. I'm your host. Today, I'm not joined by anybody. Uh, just, you know, last week, recording with Jeffrey Wadalev was a lot of fun. Uh, it was hard to get the schedule going, and this week, it's it's crazy at work. Um, so you're, you're stuck with me on this one. Uh, remember to like, follow, subscribe, five-star review, all that stuff. I'm not going to get into it too much this week. You guys, you guys know the deal. Um, I want to apologize before I even get started. If this podcast sounds kind of uh, somber, I guess is the word. I'm still kind of processing the news that came out yesterday for me. I'm recording on Monday morning. Uh, the news that came out that Kobe Bryant passed away in a helicopter crash along with his daughter and either like five or seven other people somewhere in that range. Um, it's, it's a tough time. You know, I, I, Kobe was like the reason I got into basketball and, and I don't know, it's kind of silly just because like, I don't know him. I never met him. Um, anything like that, but it's, he, he was and and still is an inspiration for me. Um, he was by no means perfect, but, but regardless, he was an inspiration. So if this podcast, if you know, if you can tell, or if it's putting you to sleep or whatever, um, I apologize. I apologize for that. Um, yeah. Anyways, back to Aztec related news. We've had a couple announcements over the past couple days. First off, we have uh, the incoming quarterback from USC, Jack Sears, has reopened up his commitment to San Diego State. It sounds like he won't be coming to San Diego State. His official statement is that he's still open to it, and it just kind of depends on the offensive staff that are put into place because right now San Diego State does not have an offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach, I believe. And so uh, his official statement is that he's reopening up recruitment to see, um, like just to make sure it's really the best fit. And so the official word is that he might come back once those spots are filled. And if he still likes the matchup, that being said, normally when this happens, it doesn't really matter. And the guy's gone anyway. So I'm going to assume that, Jack Sears is not coming back. I have had a couple people reach out and tell me that they think that's a good thing, that he didn't have the right mental makeup and that he came to San Diego State just because he got moved down the depth chart. And so that shows entitlement or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I can see the thought process, but like this is a guy that was recruited by Rocky Long. And Rocky Long does not recruit entitled players. And part of the recruitment process under Rocky Long was that uh, he has the the potential person to come in 
hang out for a day or two with the Aztec players. And then he asked the players, do you think this guy will fit in our team, in our culture? And so not only did Rocky think his attitude is good enough, but the potential future teammates thought his attitude was good enough. So while I understand where those people were coming from, I don't agree with it. That being said, seems like he's uh, he's gone. And so I guess that leaves us with Carson Baker at quarterback. I don't really know like anything really about Carson Baker. So I can't project like how good he's going to be or anything like that. Um, hopefully he's good though. You know, hopefully between everything um, he gets put in a good system where he can succeed. And hopefully the offense is, is good next season. Uh, in other football related news, it was announced Monday morning, like for me, like 30 minutes ago, that Rocky Long has taken the defensive coordinator position at New Mexico. So that's a bummer as well. I was really hoping that he would come back and be defensive coordinator at San Diego State uh, because, you know, all the defensive guys and really all the guys, but especially the defensive guys that were recruited came in large part because of Rocky Long and he's a good defensive uh, mind and that's not to say Brady Hoke isn't but Rocky Long is a good defensive mind and I've talked about this on the podcast before but I think when you're a program that's in the position of a team like San Diego State you need somebody who's going to come in and do something against the grain of what everybody else is trying to do and then also be successful at it and for Rocky Long a big part of that was you know if everybody else is trying to play a 4-3 defense or even a 3-4 defense, they're going to be looking for different players than Rocky Long is looking for in a 3-3-5 defense. And so players that might slip through the cracks of other teams because they say like, oh, they're a tweener or, you know, they're, they're a good player, but they're not what we're looking for. San Diego State can swoop in and get those players and get these, these very talented players that uh, just didn't fit other coaches' systems. And with Rocky Long leaving to New Mexico, you have within the conference, even if the Aztecs keep a 3-3-5, you have another team in the conference in in similar recruiting areas uh, looking for 3-3-5 players. And there's also the possibility that that uh, Brady Hoke switches away from a 3-3-5. You know, I don't think he's filled the defensive coordinator spot. Actually, no, he was waiting for Rocky. So he definitely hasn't filled the defensive coordinator spot either. Not many defensive coordinators play a 3-3-5. And so uh, I don't know what Brady Hoke did like at Michigan. I'm assuming it was a 4-3. And maybe that's, you know, for the best. If if Brady Hoke is such a great defensive line coach, maybe it's good to have a 4-3 because you get more defensive linemen on the on the field, you know, and that's the the strongest position coaching-wise. I I don't know. I'm kind of just rambling here. Um, but that's the news is Rocky long will be defensive coordinator at the university of New Mexico, where he used to be a head coach before coming to San Diego state. So there's that, um, last thing about the basketball team. This isn't news. Um, there, I guess the news is they're 21 and zero, and that's a, a program record for, for longest win streak and best start to a season. Um, which is, which is awesome. I, I 
wasn't able to really enjoy it as much as I would have liked to yesterday, but objectively it is still awesome. Uh, there's been talk for a long time and I've been pretty much ignoring it about like who would win between this team or Kawhi's 2011 team. That's something that I, I am really interested by because as you guys know, I really like, you know, just thought experiments and things that you can debate honestly and and things of that nature so it is something that i hope to look into but that'll be an off-season thing when there's nothing else really to talk about i'll do like you know i'll I'll do some research and some stuff here and i'll create a hypothetical head-to-head and i'll probably include xavier thames 2014 team as well just because they also went 20 you know but uh anyways that's that's an off-season thing but 21 and 0 is awesome. They got a big game against New Mexico in the pit coming up. That one has me a little bit worried, but we'll get into that a little bit later. The one thing I wanted to talk about was Nathan Mensa. And there's no new news about his return or anything like that. Uh, but I was able to go on to Hoop Lens and they do uh, like play-by-play, I guess, is the right word. I don't know. They, they do, um, like, lineup data. Like, the stuff that I I tracked last year by hand, uh, they they do it all themselves. And so they're able to do it in a much better way than I was able to do, which is great, and it saves me time, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, but so I was able to look at the numbers. They, they have a thing where they can sort it out by game, which I wasn't able to do when I was doing it by hand. And so... I was able to look at the numbers uh, before Nathan Mensa left with injury. So when he was still healthy and playing, I was able to look at those numbers and compare them to, I think at the time it was seven games. And I think uh, it was seven games played without him. And I think that that was before the last game against, oh my gosh, I'm blanking, UNLV. That was before the UNLV game. So um, the, that game isn't included. I checked real quick before I started recording they hadn't updated for the UNLV game, which is fine. Um, but people were asking on on Twitter uh, what the what the effect has been, like how has the defense been playing, um, and and stuff like that. And so I went on to Hoop Lens to look it up because I can sort it by the games like that. And the defense, when Nathan Mensa was playing, allowed the other team to score seventy nine points per one hundred possessions. Average is about a hundred or so. The average on on Ken Palm is a hundred and two, but that's that's adjusted for like um, you know level of competition. And so I don't know. I don't think that hundred and two carries over to just the raw numbers. But in any given season, the average is going to be at about a hundred points per one hundred possessions. And the Aztecs were giving up seventy nine points per one hundred possessions, which is elite level defense. It's hard to get much better than that. Um, and that's awesome. And that's not all due to Nathan, obviously, because I've, you know, we've been talking about KJ Fagan has been killing it. Matt Mitchell has been solid defensively. Yanni Wetzel was solid defensively, you know, so it's, it's a team effort by all, by all means. But Nathan Mensa was, you know, the big guy down low that you build your defense around. The other number I wanted to look at specifically was, uh, the, the rebounding. And so when Nathan Mensa was in was was playing every game, 
the Aztecs let their opponents get 23.3% of their misses. So basically, when the other team would shoot the ball and miss, they would get it back one out of every five times. Um, which doesn't sound great. It's It was probably an above average rate or about average rate. Um, but the 79 points per 100 possessions is is definitely elite. Compare that to since Nathan Mensa has left, once again, not counting the UNLV game, uh, the team has given up 89 points per 100 possessions. So that's a 10-point swing. Um, 89 points is still a very good defense. I don't know if it would be considered elite necessarily, but very good, well above average defense. And that has you know shown out in, in the tape, which is great. The rebounding, the opponents get or have gotten 27.1% of their misses. So a 4% increase, you know, it's it's closer to one out of every four uh, misses they will they will gather up, which can be significant. Um, so that's not ideal. And, and the rebounding, as I've been saying for a while, is something that definitely concerns me. And we've seen that against UNLV, and we saw that against teams like Fresno State. And the good news is the Aztecs have been able to find ways to win despite these rebounding differentials. Um, but it worries me and, and I have to, I don't, I mean, I don't have to believe that sounds that doesn't convey the message I want to say, but I just feel like at some point it will come back to bite them. Um, if it doesn't get fixed and I've been talking specifically about just boxing out because rebounding is one thing, but, you can uh you can track how well each individual player on your team is boxing out it's stuff i've i've done before i haven't done a whole lot lately but um you can track it and then point it out to your players and oftentimes that's enough that you know now it's on their mind and now they're putting more effort into boxing out which in and of itself can help to limit those offensive rebounds the other thing was so we have we have a ten point uh, negative impact with Nathan Mensa out, right? Because it was at seventy nine, now it's at eighty nine. So it's ten points in the wrong direction every hundred possessions. The other thing was, hopefully, with Matt Mitchell in the starting lineup as opposed to Nathan Mensa, the offense is much better because Yanni's still a great offensive player and he can still play on offense pretty much the same way. But now you have Matt Mitchell out there spacing the floor as well. He's a great offensive player. He's objectively a better offensive player than Nathan Mensah. So has the offense gotten better enough to offset that impact that we lose from Nathan being on the floor? And the short answer is no. Um, The Aztecs were scoring 107 points per 100 possessions uh, when Nathan Mensah was on the floor. So it's above average. Like I said, about 100 is normally considered average. So 107 points, that's above average. That's that's great. Um, if you if you compare that with allowing seventy nine points on defense, that's about a thirty point differential. Which um, it's that's not that's not the adjusted differential, which is what Ken Palm gives. But um, thirty points is normally probably top top five in the nation, which pretty much fits with every else we see you know they're number four in the ap poll they probably still will be four when the new ap poll comes out it might get released while i'm recording here um 
they're I think they're seven or eight in Ken Palm, so slightly below, but still really close. Um, so that's great. But so with Nathan, like I said, 107 points per 100 possessions, and that's out of 930 possessions, so that's a decent sample size. Uh, without Nathan, it jumped up to 109. So they gained two points there, but they lost 10 points on the defense. So combined, their their net efficiency dropped by eight points per 100 possessions. So they are objectively and measurably worse when Nathan Mensah um, is off the court, which isn't you know news to anybody, but it's it's for people like me at least it's nice to be able to put a number onto that. And then, you know, on top of that, you had the other things like we had guys like Matt Mitchell coming off the bench. And so he was able to tear it up because he was playing against second unit guys all day. And now he's playing against first unit guys and he's still tearing it up. Don't get me wrong, but you know, there's that you have players like Yanni and Malachi have to play longer minutes, um, which shouldn't be a big deal for the most part during the regular season because there's normally three or four days in between games anyways. Um, it can be a big deal when they're playing at elevation. So far it hasn't really shown to be a big deal at elevation, but you, you can see how it would be. Um, and so especially coming up to New Mexico where they played about 5,000 feet or so, uh, you can see that being an issue. And then the real issue would come uh, in March during for one the mountain west tournament where the team is deep but you're missing nathan so it's less deep the star players have to play more minutes and the rotations normally get shortened a little bit anyways you could see playing you know three games in three days uh if if a guy like malachi and a guy like yanni are playing 35 to 38 minutes a game you could see that possibly wearing on them um that's not to say that they still won't play great but you know, you could see it happen. And then come the actual, you know, the March Madness tournament, you play a game, you play two games in the span of three days, right, over the week. So you'll play like on Thursday and then on Saturday, or you'll play on Friday and then on Sunday, assuming you win that first game, Um, which the Aztecs should, because they should be, I mean, if they win out, they should definitely be a one seed. Um the odds of them winning out aren't super great, but even with one or two losses, it's hard to imagine them being less than a two or a three seed. So you have to imagine that their first round matchup will be against a 15 or a 14 seed. So they should be able to win at least the first game. Um, But then two days later you have another game and it's on short prep and your star players have been playing a lot of minutes. So you could see that possibly uh, having an impact as well. So that's, I mean, that's that. I, I definitely have an issue where I kind of skew towards pessimism a little bit and some of it's on purpose just because, um, I don't want to sound like too much of a Homer. You know, I want to try and say what things really are rather than what I want them to be. Some of it is also just being a San Diego sports fan. You know, um, you get let down enough times and you kind of learn to stop expecting things, but Anyways, that's that. I feel my throat not doing well, so I'm going to take a little break. Um, And when we come back, we will look at New Mexico and Utah State.
And we're back. Let's look at these these games coming up this week. The first game on Wednesday, I believe, is at New Mexico. So the Aztecs are playing in the pit. And New Mexico has a pretty interesting, not interesting, I shouldn't say, I don't know. Um, They have a different play style than the Aztecs do. The Aztecs like to slow things down. New Mexico, under Paul Weir, and it's been this way for the last couple years, they like to run. And that's that's what they're going to do. They like to run. They like to finish in transition at the rim. And they like to draw fouls. If they can't do that in transition, uh, they will go to their half-court offense where they will still either finish at the rim and then draw fouls. That's what they like to do. Their, their three-point shooting rate, like in terms of how many threes they take a game, they don't take very many. They rank 282nd in like the percentage of their three-point field goals that are or their of their field goals attempts that are three-pointers. Um, so they don't shoot the three a whole lot. When they do, they make them at an average rate, um, 33.7%. League average is 33.3 this season with the with the three-point line moved back. So, you know, they can hit them from there. Absolutely, if if you give it to them. But what they're going to want to do is get inside and finish at the rim. They're seventh in the nation in two-point uh, field goal percentage. So if, if they shoot the ball within the arc, it's going in. It's 56.3% they have uh, within the arc. And specifically finishing at the rim, when it's not a post-up, they're in the 99th percentile. So they're better than 99% of teams in college basketball. Uh, when it comes to finishing at the rim, they have, uh, they are 24th in, in tempo basically. Um, so they're one of the fastest teams or a top 25 speed team in the nation. Um, their average, they're, they're 31st in offensive possession length and 75th in defensive possession length, which just, wow. I mean, what that tells me, I, you know this if you've watched New Mexico play before, you know that this is what they want to do anyways. But if I hadn't watched that, what that would tell me is that, like I said, on offense, they want to run out into transition. And on defense, they're trying to press full court and cause turnovers. And that's true to what Paul Weir has tried to do over his first two seasons. I haven't watched New Mexico at all this season, uh, but that's what he's done the last two years. That's what the numbers say he's doing this year. And so it's a safe bet. They have had some issue with their players. I don't want to get into it too much because uh, I haven't followed it that closely. But from what I understand, uh, two players that were there to start the year are no longer there. Those are Carlton Bragg and J.J. Caldwell. Uh, They had some type of legal trouble. I don't know what the outcome is, so I don't want to, you know, speak wrongly about it. But to the best of my knowledge, they are no longer with the team um Carlton Bragg was arguably the best player on the team without him the best player is probably Jaquan Lyle so uh who's a transfer from I think he no I don't remember where Jaquan Lyle is from it's not a big deal um but he's a 6'5 guard the New Mexico fans whenever I, I I posted twice those articles about like the best players in the conference based off of just some 
analytical stuff I did. And Jaquan Lyle was never even in the top 20 and they got that. They were not happy about that. They, they think he's much better than the numbers have suggested. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. His, his assist rate, Jaquan Lyles, is really good. His turnover rate is also really high. Some of that you just kind of expect when a team is is playing fast and pressing and stuff. Their turnovers are going to be naturally a little bit higher than everybody else's. Um, you hope that it doesn't affect the percentage as much as it affects just the raw numbers. So because they have more possessions, they might get a couple more turnovers, but it's okay. That being said, their possession on offense, they turn over the ball 20.3% of the time. So one out of every five possessions, they've had a turnover, which bodes well for the San Diego State team because San Diego State has one of the better defenses at forcing turnovers. They force turnovers 22% of the time. So um, that's important. And that was something that helped out in the game against UNLV was the uh, the Rebels were able to get more rebounds and more offensive rebounds specifically, but uh, they would turn the ball over more also. And so it, it kind of balanced out and they weren't able to take as many shots as they might have liked. Um, in a game that was that was pretty close overall, so getting those turnovers can help. That'll be that'll be part of the key to stopping New Mexico. Hopefully, a rope is healthy again. He was a game time decision on uh, Sunday at UNLV, so he'll have Monday and Tuesday, and then you know the better part of Wednesday. Hopefully, he's good to go just for that depth. Like I said, altitude can be tricky. Um, and it's the second road game, so they've been traveling a lot. Hopefully he can hopefully he can play. Obviously, if it's borderline, he shouldn't. Um, because this team has bigger aspirations. And while it would suck to lose at New Mexico on Wednesday, it's more important to have guys like a rope be healthy come March for the conference tournament and for the big March Madness tournament. So um that's my thoughts on on that anyways. I think that pretty much sums up New Mexico. They're definitely offensive-based. Uh, they rank in the 91st percentile overall, according to Synergy, in overall offense. They're in Ken Palm. They're 75th in the nation in, in offensive efficiency, um, 18th in effective field goal percentage. And they, they get to the line a lot. They're 7th in in free throw attempts per field goal attempt which means they draw a lot of fouls and they don't commit a lot of fouls either and so that specifically is a matchup that worries me because san diego state is the opposite on both ends they don't draw a lot of fouls on offense and they commit a good amount of fouls on defense so the free throw line could be a a crucial thing in this new mexico game and that will be something to watch out for After New Mexico, we have Utah State back at Vieja. So it'll probably be nice for the players to play a home game after a couple games on the road. It will be big time um, for the players as well as the fans big time emotionally because Kawhi Leonard's jersey will be getting hung up in the rafters. at, at that game, probably like at halftime, they probably said somewhere. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to that part, but it'll be getting hung up. Uh, it sounds like the number isn't getting 
retired. Like somebody else could still theoretically wear uh, number 15, but the, the jersey's being hung up, which is cool. And so that'll be um, an emotional day, but good emotional. Um, Kawhi will be there which will be awesome for Aztec fans, all sorts of good stuff. Hopefully they're still undefeated at that point. Um, like I said, if they lose a game, it's not a big deal um, at this point. You you want them to stay undefeated, obviously, but it wouldn't be the end of the world if, if they lost a game. But you got Kawhi's jersey getting hung up. It's against Utah State. The Aztecs already beat Utah State in Logan, um, that was the first game that their star big man, Nemius Keda was back. And so he's played in 10 games since then. So he's probably knocked off his rust. And even then he was, uh, he, he still had a double double if I'm remembering correctly against the Aztecs in, in his first game back. So he's going to be a handful. They, they did when they played Utah state in, in Utah, they, that was at a point in the season after Nathan Mensa was sidelined. So they beat uh, the Aggies without Nathan Mensa. So that bodes well. They're playing at home, which should bode well. This team has kind of oddly, for the most part, played better on the road than they have at home. Uh, but still, in general, you know, the players talk about how the fans are cheering them on and that helps like motivate them and encourage them and stuff like that, as you know, it does with all teams. And so hopefully they play well at home. Hopefully they win while Kawhi Leonard is there. Um, all types of, of storylines. Utah State hasn't shot well from behind the arc this season. And so anytime that happens, it's easier to to guard a team because you, you don't worry about it as much. There's something – the coaches have been having the Aztec bigs. When, when an opposing player comes off a screen, they will uh, – I mean, different people will use slightly different terminology for what to me looks like essentially the same thing. Um, but they'll have the Aztec big in this case, Yanni, most of the time they'll have him show up high or hard hedge where, uh, he'll, he'll come up to the level level of the ball handler and he'll kind of, he'll basically cover the ball handler until the guard can recover. And only at that point does Yanni leave to go guard the role man. And you do that when you're worried about a player coming off of a screen and making a shot, right? And so um, you might do that against – for Mountain West players, that's a type of way you might want to guard a guy like Malachi Flynn or um, Jordan Shackle or even Matt Mitchell if they were to come off of screens. You could see wanting to do that against a guy like Sam Merrill um, or Justinian Jessup. Right for Mountain West players, for for pro players, guys like Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, those are the types of players you might want to do that to. Uh, Clay Thompson, that way, they can't get a shot off right off the screen. Right. The problem is, and it, it happened a little bit. Um, sheesh, what was the game? It was right before UNLV. My mind is is mush right now, so I apologize. Uh, Wyoming was it Wyoming or was it Nevada? I think it was Nevada. I'm thinking about. They were showing high, which was great because Nevada is a great shooting team. So that's what you want to do. Um, but they ended up the, the ball handler would get the ball into the roll man who would then either dunk it cause they were wide open or, uh, you know, the rotation would come over. So there's somebody like Matt Mitchell came over from the weak side to guard the roll man, which is great. But now Matt Mitchell's guy is wide open and then he would hit a three. Both of those things happened a couple times in the Nevada game. And so 
that's you know the risk you have when you when you hedge high like that. You're hoping your rotation comes fast enough to guard the roll man as well, but then you're leaving a three point shooter open. And uh, guys like Nemius Keda are known for being able to pass out of down low really well. Um, so I'm interested to see if if it, the the long story that the conclusion is I'm interested to see if they will still be hedging high like that against uh, this. Utah State team, I would think that they would um, for at least parts of the game. You know, you, 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 unless, unless you can, you know, unless the other team can't beat what you're doing, you kind of want to switch up your defenses a little bit. And Utah State, despite them being in a down year by all expectations, they're still a good team. So you'll probably have to do that. But um, I'm interested to see if they come out with that because Utah State hasn't been shooting terribly well but they also have guys that historically can hit shots. And so, you know, if you let them get going, it might be too late at that point. So I'll be interested to see what the coaches do there. Um, And hopefully they can work on those rotations a little bit and get whoever's on the weak side to rotate over a little bit sooner uh, to help with that roll man. That'll be a thing. Um, But I mean, that's, that's that we've talked about Utah state before. So I don't feel the need to go super deep into them. You know, they got Sam Merrill, they got Nemius Keda, and the guy who the last time I did that, like the, the best player in the conference thing, Utah State had Justin Bean, who with the data I had was playing even better than Sam Merrill was. So they have some star power. They have some talent. Absolutely. Um, they have depth, especially with Nemius Keda back, right? So they're a good team despite their their free fall. They've lost four conference games already, but despite that, they can't be taken lightly. Um, and and hopefully it'll it'll be a good game, and and hopefully a win. Like I said, with Kawhi Leonard and sold out arena and all that good stuff. That should do it, Aztec fans. There was something else I wanted to talk about that I was it just popped into my mind while I was talking about Utah State, but can't remember what it is anymore, and I didn't want to lose my train of thought earlier. I do that enough as it is. So um, thanks for listening, as always. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Um, all the usual stuff. Find me, YouTube, uh, podcast. I write for Mountain West Wire and East Village Times now, so find those. Find me on Patreon. All the good stuff. Good reviews. Follow, subscribe. The whole deal. Um, Thank you guys so much. My last episode was actually the most listened to episode ever so far, so that was cool. Um, Hopefully that keeps up, and I'll catch you guys next time.